0: It's Thursday, July 9th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, the pride of Rhode Island, it's Brian Feraldi. Good to see you. Chris, it is awesome to be back. Uh, We're going to dip into the full mailbag. We have a lot of retail to get to, including Costco. Uh, We're going to start with the stock of the day, and sometimes when I say stock of the day, that means really good things for what's happening with that stock, and sometimes it's what's happening today with Bed Bath & Beyond, uh, because first quarter sales for Bed Bath & Beyond fell nearly 50%. Um, On yesterday's show, we talked about the number of store closings so far in 2020. We can add Bed Bath & Beyond to the list because they're going to be closing 200 locations over the next two years, and they should, Brian.
1: Yes, they should. Uh, this was a pretty rough report, although, to be fair, it was over March, April, and May. So, it's kind of hard for a retailer to report good results during that uh, period, but it's hard to find really any good news in this report, uh, Chris. As you noted, sales fell 49% to $1.3 billion. That's quite the drop. When you dig into that a little bit more, you see that store sales Dropped 77%. On the plus side, digital sales actually grew 82%. And this actually blew me away. Digital sales at this company represent two thirds of sales this quarter. That's far higher than I thought it was going to be, Chris. Uh, Me as well. And.
0: We've been saying this for months with all kinds of retailers. You know, you look at the results for the quarter. Um, not surprising to see digital sales skyrocketing. Uh, you know, to try and counterbalance the store closings, um, unfortunately, that's not the case here with Bed Bath and Beyond. Um, I, you know, when you talk about sort of like w- where is the silver lining if there is one, um, I, I think it's actually in the announcement of the store closings. Um, Mark Tritton, who really made his bones at Target as an executive vice president, um, Target's move into private label brands. I mean, Tritton was the guy behind that. Um, So, there was a lot of enthusiasm at the end of 2019 when he took over this company. And he um, made some pretty swift moves in the C-suite. Like, he basically Cut most of the executives, um, and it's clear that you know for for whatever was happening with the company today and the stock today, and it's down about twenty percent today. Um, Triton is a guy who has a clear vision. He knows what he wants to accomplish. He cleaned house at the end of twenty nineteen, and they've got nine hundred fifty Bed Bath and Beyond locations. They're going to be closing. Two hundred of them over the next two years, you know, just on a percentage basis. That's a, you know, we've seen retailers nibble around the edges, edges, with store closings before, and so as someone who actually owns a few shares of Bed Bath and Beyond, like that's the silver lining to me is that Triton is doing with the store closings what he did with the executive ranks.
1: He's pulling every lever that he can, and when you dig into the rest of the numbers for the quarter, it becomes pretty clear that he has to. So, again, on the upside, digital sales grew pretty strongly, 82%, and represent two-thirds of sales. The trouble is, those digital orders are actually more costly to fulfill than fulfilling them in stores. So, we actually saw a gross margin decline 700 700- Uh, 80 basis points down to 26.7%. That's quite the drop considering that you would, I would naturally assume that fulfilling orders online would be a higher margin. And to dig into more, uh, that kind of trickled down to make some very ugly results in the bottom line. Uh, Net loss for the quarter was $300 million. That included $85 million in impairments and severance costs. If you pull those out, it's not as bad as it seems. But if you look at the free cash flow, the story actually gets worse. Uh, The company reported negative $450 million in free cash flow for the period, and they funded those losses by piling on another $236 million in long term debt. Now, you did bring up that they plan to close 200 stores in the next two years to save themselves somewhere between. Two hundred and fifty and three hundred and fifty million dollars uh, annually, uh, but let's put that in perspective. That doesn't even cover the co- the loss of this quarter. Uh, so that's a whole lot of store closures that probably should have happened a long time ago. Uh, but to me, there's no doubt that this company is in trouble. Now, the CEO did state that they have over one point one billion in cash in their books, eight hundred and fifty million in asset backed uh, revolving credit lines, so that does give them almost two billion dollars uh, in liquidity. but this company still has one point seven billion in long term debt a number that just went up it 's still losing money and it 's really losing relevance so the CEO has a huge task ahead of him to turn this company around he does, and
0: uh, you know normally this quarter uh, for Bed Bath & Beyond, for, for Target, uh, for any number of large retailers, one of the things we would be talking about as we look to the near future is back to school. And In the case of Bed Bath & Beyond, it's like, oh my goodness, all these kids going off to college, they're going to go get you know, new bedding, you know, all types of things for their dorm room, that sort of thing. They don't even have that. Like, that, like that's, that's one more challenge thrown at, at Mark Tritton's uh, feet in terms of, of the pandemic. So, uh, as you said, he's got his work cut out for him.
1: Um, Chris, I'll throw one more at okay. you there. How about wedding season? I don't know about you, but when I got married, one of the things we were forced to do is go to Bed Bath & Beyond with a scanner and go and create a whole bunch of different price points for people to buy us stuff. Not a lot of weddings happening uh, these days, and definitely not in the traditional manner that they've been happening before. So, another potential near-term headwind.
0: You were forced, like your fiancé put a gun to your head, that's how you were forced? was it my
1: fiancé, we'll just say that.
0: <laughs> uh, let's move on uh, to Walgreens Boots Alliance, um, the rough third quarter results, uh, a lot of this uh, for the, the Boots uh, division in the UK, um, the stock down about 8%. And I, look, I know the pandemic is affecting all bricks and mortar retailers, uh, but you look at this business, and even before that, Just go back 12 months. I mean, Walgreens has been steadily challenged, and the steadily declining stock price reflects that.
1: Yes. And uh, really, retailers, uh, um, pharmacy retailers like this, have been hugely under pressure ever since Amazon announced a couple of years ago that it had taken an interest in the space. So, that is really when Walgreens troubles uh, really started in earnest. And you can say the exact same thing uh, for for CVS, but no surprise to see what happened here. They reported some pretty abysmal uh, results. They did say that they are going to uh, end their stock buybacks, that's, that's definitely a good thing in the near term, to husband some cash. Uh, uh, they are they are cutting their um, they are cutting some jobs uh, specifically in their uh, UK uh, offices following uh, the trouble that they're undergoing there. Um, but they do say that they're still going to be profitable for the full full year on an adjusted basis, just nowhere near close to what they were uh, predicting before. So. As you said, Chris, this company had some troubles prior to this, and COVID-19 is just making things worse. In the long-term, though, I think that Walgreens will probably be just fine as a company, um, whether or not it works out as an investment, different story. They're cutting jobs. They're suspending buybacks. They are, however, increasing
0: the dividend. And for anyone who wonders for the dividend aristocrats, and Walgreens is one of them, they've been. increasing their dividend for more than 40 years in a row now. For anyone who ever wonders, boy, I wonder once you get that dividend aristocrat title, how badly do you want to hold on to it? I would submit to you as evidence, Walgreens in this quarter. That's how badly they want to hold on to this title, like, yes, we're a dividend aristocrat. I I, I kind of get it, but it if you're one of the people who's losing their job you can't help but be even more bitter as you look at Walgreens making the capital allocation decision to raise their dividend even the 2% that they're doing it
1: and that just shows you kind of the problem with a lot of american companies dividend policies they set a fixed rate and then they as you said tend to increase it every single year, and they'll do almost anything to defend uh, the dividend. This is why uh, some companies, especially in European markets, have a dividend policy that's based on earnings, so the dividend fluctuates from uh, quarter to quarter, year to year, based on how the company is doing. That policy might make a little bit more sense in in today's world. It's not all bad
0: news out there in the retail landscape, um, because if people are not shopping at Bed Bath & Beyond uh, or Walgreens, In the month of June, they were shopping at Costco, because same-store sales for Costco were 11% higher than a year ago, and this is welcome relief for anyone who uh, was stunned in April when Costco reported their first same-store sales decline in over a decade, monthly same-store sales decline in over a decade. Um, This uh, helps uh, those people breathe a sigh of relief.
1: Yeah, I like to think that this report made Mac Greer and Ron Gross do the little happy dance uh, somewhere. <laughs> but uh, to your point, yeah, same st- uh, sales were up eleven percent. Uh, in the month to sixteen point two billion total company wide sales were up eleven point five percent. That's a very strong number given Costco's uh, size. Uh, and if you break them down a little, little further, so comps in the U.S. were up eleven percent, up eight percent in Canada, and up eighteen percent in international markets. E-commerce remains strong, eighty-six percent growth, although off of a very small base. And Chris, those numbers are even more impressive if you strip out the effects of gasoline, which have which is definitely down, and foreign exchange movements. And as you said, a sharp reversal or a sharp increase over May when total company-wide sales were up 5.4% and April when they were down 4.7%. So anybody that was calling Costco out in, uh, in uh, April, uh, you got served some humble pie today, but no surprise to see this. Costco is a beast of a company. People love shopping there and they clearly continue to do so. Uh, one programming
0: note, uh, David Henkis, um, one of if not the best analysts in America when it comes to uh, restaurants in the food service industry. Uh, David Henkes is going to be our guest on Motley Fool Money this weekend, so we'll have a deep dive into restaurants there. Our email address is at fool.com. Question from Todd, who asks, what role should options play in a buy- and hold portfolio, I understand that you can generate income for retirement, but I'm interested more in your thoughts on how options are best used in a foolish portfolio.
1: Well, let's just back up and just so that we're all on the same page and just define what is an option. So an option is a financial derivative that gives the buyer the right to buy or sell a stock at an agreed-upon price for a certain period of time. And there's two types of options. So there are call options. Call options give the buyer the right to buy a stock at a set price. So let's say $100. Uh, You would have the option to buy that stock at $100 uh, for a certain period of time, usually a couple months or even a couple of years. And then there's a put option. And a put option gives the buyer the right to sell a stock at a certain price for a certain period of time. And one thing to keep in mind uh, with options, Chris, is that they are derivatives that are leveraged. So, every one contract that you have represents 100 shares of the underlying stock. Now, if a stock trades for $10 per share, that's not that big of a deal. But keep that in mind when you're thinking about trading options on Amazon, because one share of Amazon costs 3000 So, one option on Amazon stock represents $300,000 uh, in value. Now, the, to answer this question, are, should they be a part of the Foolish Portfolio? That depends on that who you ask. We have certainly our resident option experts at the Fool, uh, Jim Mueller, Jim Gillies, uh, Jeff Fisher. They are all big believers in using options uh, to supplement their buy-and-hold portfolio, and they mostly use them uh, defensively as a way to generate income. So, largely, um, foolish option users sell options. They sell calls and they sell uh, puts in order to buy stocks cheaper or um, sell stocks at a higher price and generate income in the short term. So, options are a tool, a financial tool like any other. And when used certain ways, they can actually be used to generate consistent income and reduce portfolio um, uh, volatility. Uh, but when used incorrectly, they can greatly magnify uh, risk. And uh, I, I could tell you that I've used options in the past. Uh, I no longer uh, use them. They're a bit too complex for me, and I think you can generate just fine returns without them. But whether or not they're right for you totally depends on your specific situation. Brian Feraldi, good talking to you. Thanks for being here. Always great being here, Chris.
0: As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, on The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.